the origins of money reflect the origins of humans see there have been three great revolutions in human history we form communities then civilization and industry currently we are living through a fourth great revolution in humankind and these revolutions fundamentally change the way we live equally important is the fact that each evolution of humankind creates a revolution in monetary and value exchange and that is why it is important to reflect on the past to understand the present and forecast the future especially as we are living through the fourth revolution in humanity and trade and about to enter a fifth for years business models in the industry were as fixed as panes of stained glass at cathedral windows but new waves of digital only players have unshackled themselves from vertical integration and are fragmenting the banking value chain by choosing which layers they want to play in they are unbundling traditional products into micro products or services and rebundling their offerings together with components from other providers to offer better customer propositions and gearing up to be successful in the coming years the bank of the future will need to embrace emerging technology remain flexible to adopt evolving business models and put customers at the center of every strategy faced with changing consumer expectations emerging technologies and new business models banks will need to start putting strategies in place now to help them prepare for banking in 2030 shaping the future of the banking industry as a whole so what better could we do than to analyze key trends macroeconomic dynamics along with a brief look at a day in the life of the bank ceo of the future ai machine learning ecosystems and highly customizable customer experience and services are all on the agenda let's get right into it rosa intro cash me if you can your gateway into the world of financial freedom banking has been around since the first currencies were minted and wealthy people wanted a safe place to store their money ancient empires also needed a functional financial system to facilitate trade distribute wealth and collect taxes banks were to play a major role in that just as they do today the governments of the world started to mandate and license banks to enable economic exchange these banks appeared from the 1600s and were organized as government backed entities that could be trusted to store value on behalf of their depositors it is for this reason that banks are the oldest registered companies in most economies the oldest serving british financial institution is hoards bank created by richard hoar in 1672 the oldest british bank of size is barclays bank first listed in 1690 like for uk most banks are over 200 years old which is unusual as according to a survey by the bank of korea there are only 5586 companies older than 200 years with most of them in japan so banks and insurance companies have survived so long as large entities it is notable that they are large and still around after 2 to 300 years because they are government instruments to trade they are backed and licensed by governments to act as financial oil in the economy and the major innovation that took place was the creation of paper money backed by the government as the means of exchange paper banknotes and paper checks were created as a part of this new ecosystem to make it easier to allow the industry to operate at the time this idea must have seemed very surprising right a piece of paper instead of gold as payment but 
it was not so outrageous. This excerpt from the Committee of Scottish Bankers provides some useful insight as to why this idea took root. So the first Scottish bank to issue banknotes was the Bank of Scotland. When the bank was founded on 17 July 1695 through an act of the Scottish Parliament, Scots coinage was in short supply and of uncertain value compared to the English, Dutch, Flemish or French coins, which were preferred by majority of Scots. The growth of trade was severely hampered by this lack of an adequate currency and the merchants of the day, seeking a more convenient way of settling accounts, were among the strongest supporters of an alternative. Bank of Scotland was granted a monopoly over banking within Scotland for 21 years and immediately after opening in 1695, the bank expanded on the coinage system by introducing paper currency. This idea was first viewed with some suspicion, but once it became apparent that the bank could honour its promise to pay, and that the paper was more convenient than coins, acceptance spread rapidly and the circulation of notes increased. As this spread from merchants to the rest of the population, Scotland became one of the first countries to use a paper currency form of their choice. So, banking was already pretty well established in the British Empire when Adam Smith introduced his invisible hand theory in 1776. Empowered by the views of a self-regulated economy, Moneylenders and bankers managed to limit the state's involvement in the banking sector and the economy as a whole. This free market capitalism and comparative banking found fertile ground in the new world, where the US was just about to emerge. Initially, Smith's ideas did not benefit the American banking industry, like the average span of an American bank was just 5 years, after which most of the banknotes that it issued became worthless, and a bank robbery then meant a lot more than it does now in the age of deposit insurance. Compounding these risks was a cyclical cash crunch in America. Alexander Hamilton, the first secretary of the US Treasury, established a national bank that would accept member banknotes at par, this floating bank through difficult times. After a few stops, starts, cancellations and resurrections, the national bank created a uniform national currency and set up a system by which national banks backed their notes by purchasing treasury securities, thus creating a liquid market. The national banks pushed out the competition through the imposition of taxes on the relatively lawless state banks. But the damage had been done, and as average Americans had grown to distrust banks and bankers in general, this feeling would also lead to the state of Texas to outlaw corporate banks, a law that stood until 1904. So the banking system then fueled the industrial revolution, not only enabling easy trade of value exchange through these paper-based systems, but also through allowing trade and structured finance through systems that are similar to those we still have today. Like the oldest stock exchange in the world in Amsterdam was launched in 1602 and an explosion of banks appeared in the centuries that followed to enable trade, supporting businesses and governments to create healthy, growing economies a role that they are still meant to fulfill today. During this time, paper money and structured investment products appeared and large-scale international corporations began to develop, thanks to the rise of large-scale manufacturing and global connections. So the Industrial Revolution saw an evolution of development from the origins of money that were enforced by our shared belief systems to the creation of trust in a new system, PIPA. The key to the paper notes and a paper check system is that 
they hold a promise to pay which we believe will be honored a banknote promises to pay the bearer on behalf of the nation's bank and is often signed by the country's bank treasurer a check is often reflective of the society of the time and shows how interlinked these value exchange systems were with the industrial age so in summary we witnessed three huge changes in society over the past millennia of mankind the creation of civilization based upon shared beliefs the creation of money based upon those shared beliefs and the evolution of money from belief to the economy when governments backed banks with paper then in a very abrupt way to put it jp morgan changed the entire industry jp morgan and company emerged as the head of the merchant banks during the late 1800s it was connected directly to london then the world's financial center and had considerable political clout in the us morgan and company created us steel AT&T and International Harvester as well as duopolies and near monopolies in the railroad and shipping industries through the revolutionary use of trusts and a disdain for the Sherman Antitrust Act it remained difficult however for average americans to you know obtain loans or other banking services but merchant banks didn't advertise and they really extended credit to the common people racism was also pretty widespread merchant banks left consumer lending to the lesser banks which were still feeling at an alarming rate like the collapse in shares of a copper trust set off the bank panic of 1907 with a run on the banks and stock selloffs which caused shares in general to plummet and without a federal reserve to take action to stop the panic the task fell to jp morgan personally morgan used his considerable clout to gather all the major players on wall street to deploy the credit and capital that they controlled just as the fed would do today but ironically morgan's move ensured that no private banker would ever again wield that much power in 1913 the us government formed the federal reserve bank although the merchant banks influenced the structure of the fed they were also pushed into the background by its creation but then when world war 1 broke out The US became a global lender and by the end of the war it had replaced London as the center of the financial world. Unfortunately, the government decided to put some unconventional handcuffs on the banking sector. It insisted that all debtor nations pay back their war loans, which traditionally were forgiven, especially in the case of the allies, before any American institution would extend them for the credit. This as we know, slowed world trade and caused many countries to become hostile towards american goods and when the stock market crashed on black tuesday in 1929 the already sluggish world economy was blacked out the fed couldn't contain the damage which led to some 9000 bank failures from 1930 to 1933 new laws thereby emerged to salvage the banking sector and restore consumer confidence in it with the passage of the glass steagall act in 1933 Commercial banks were no longer allowed to speculate with consumers' deposits, and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or FDIC was created to ensure accounts were up to certain limits. By the way, the repeal of the Glass-Steagall Act was one of the primary causes of the 2008 financial crisis too. Read up about it. Anyway, so then came along again World War II. It is generally said that this era, like this period, especially between the post-war years. saved the banking industry from destruction 
For the banks and the Fed, the war required massive financial maneuvers involving billions of dollars. This massive financing operation created companies with huge credit needs that in turn spurred banks into mergers to meet the demand. These huge banks span global markets and more importantly, domestic banking in the US finally settled to the point where the advent of deposit insurance and widespread mortgage lending, the average citizen could have confidence in the banking system and reasonable access to credit. Thus, marking the beginning of the modern era in banking, an era which we are about to leave now for good. So as we all know, the most significant development in the world of banking in the late 20th and early 21st centuries has been the advent of online banking, which in its earliest forms dates back to the 1980s but began to take off with the rise of the internet in the mid-1990s. The growing adoption of smartphone and mobile banking further accelerated the trend and now we are entering a period where this will and has to redefine banking to survive as a whole. With the augmentation of digital technologies, consumers have become more demanding of virtual experiences in today's time. The recent situation has only amplified the need for easy access to banking products, services and information and surged the need for stress-free access to banking products and services. So the future of banking will be driven by major technological changes that will transform it drastically. The future of banking is so de-digital that we don't even know how most of it could operate yet. The future of banking thereby is here as we examine the changes that are expected to play out over the next decade of retail banking. The drivers of the future are evolutions of the past. Some are playing out now, others will be far more prominent by 2025 and table stakes by 2030. Now, as we always do, we will take America as our model and analyze certain key changes. More than 4 in 5 Americans used some form of digital payments in 2021, continuing a long-standing trend. The banking industry is facing a series of challenges as more consumers manage their finances from their smartphones. And with financial technology companies and challenger brands popping up at an increasing rate and banking technology becoming more advanced, innovation is necessary for the future of banking. The findings of McKinsey's 2021 Digital Payments Consumer Survey, an ongoing research initiative in the seventh year, also indicate the continuation of several behavioral trends from the previous year's survey. Furthermore, responses on cryptocurrency and buy now pay later BNPL financing indicate that these topics have moved further into the mainstream for the American consumer. The 82% of Americans using digital payments defined to include browser-based or in-app online purchases, in-store checkout using a mobile phone and or QR code, and person-to-person P2P payments in 2021 exceeds last year's 78% and the 72% of 5 years ago. Omnichannel use of digital payments continued to grow over time. Although it experienced a dip from 2020's all-time high of 58%, in-app payments are an interesting case in point. With more consumers staying at home, rideshare usage declined as would be expected, while meal delivery increased. So online payments were the only category of digital payments to register growth, up 12 percent points in 2021, possibly as a result of pandemic-related behavior again, including more time spent at home. Then, for two of the most widely discussed industry innovations, BNPL, buy now, pay later, and crypto, the research reveals favorable yet very 
different usage patterns. When asked about BNPL, 30% of survey respondents reported having financed a purchase with this type of service. Although this share is only 3% points higher than 2020s, attitudinal data seems to support the value proposition put forward by BNPL. And given the product's increased availability, it is believed usage may be growing faster than penetration. Of the respondents who use BNPL, 29% report that without this financing option, they would have made a smaller purchase or not purchased at all. And another 39% said that they chose BNPL overuse of a credit card and the remaining 31% indicate BNPL was substituted for a debit card or crash. Now, talking about crypto, the adoption curve is wild. One in five respondents report holding or having held crypto assets up from 6% just a year earlier. Among the 74% of respondents familiar with but not owning crypto, 41% say a key reason for not yet having used is the lack of functional understanding, an indication of further room for growth. Of past and present cryptocurrency owners, 43% say that they are motivated by its investment potential. And of that group, 41% say that they allocate at least 5% of their portfolio to the vehicle. Surprisingly, however, among the broader population, Bitcoin's 15% penetration does not significantly outpace that of Dogecoin and Ethereum. 11% each. And fewer respondents own cryptocurrency for making purchases. 21% cites transactions as their primary objective, often pointing to anonymous payments and international transfers as use cases. Roughly one-fifth reference a lack of trust in the government, banks, or the US dollar as their motivating factor, which is something every bank should keep an eye and be aware of. To top it all off, 15% of digital wallet users say that they leave their residence regularly without their old-school version. And another 11% indicate they consider doing so only when they do not plan to purchase anything or know they can use a digital wallet. So following widespread promotional efforts designed to coax consumers into entering credit card credentials, most respondents using digital wallets have now loaded multiple cards. Of those who say they have done so, 40% indicate that they frequently switch to an instrument other than their default option. The most commonly cited reason given is for toggling between cards is fund availability, followed by a desire to isolate different types of purchases on separate cards and redemption of promotions or discounts. Banks around the world are already realizing how investments in digital technologies could benefit customer acquisition and satisfaction. For example, Bank of America currently receives more deposits from its mobile channel than it does from its branches. So following key trends, we can roughly conclude that the future of banking will be invisible, connected, insights-driven, and purposeful. That means making banks invisible. Like leading banks will use technology and far deeper customer insight to insert financial services at the customer's moment of need, often at the expense of brand visibility. Distribution models are evolving to make use of marketplace and technologies such as open APIs and 5G to connect finance with homes, machinery, vehicles and other devices. This will pose challenges for many banks as their retail brands become increasingly invisible to the end consumer. Banks have to be connected. To remain relevant, banks must be present in the ecosystems 
and products that customers use. To do this, they must cease to see partnerships and intermediation of their brand as a threat. Banks will assemble constellations of value, interoperable, trusted environments that enable collaborators beyond banking to weave value into frictionless, rich consumer journeys. Trusted advisor status is what will differentiate banks from all other touchpoints that offer embedded financial services. Banks also have to be insight-driven. Banks will unleash insight from their data and elevate custodian of consumer trust. Their expanded role around consent and identity will enable consumers to have finite control of their financial and digital lives. Consumer trust is a critical asset here. Banks must firmly step up with advice and generate financial intimacy with their customers. Customers that expect ROC or return on consent for their trust and finally, purposeful. Consumers will prefer banks that align with their environmental and social values in a more purposeful age, where local and corporate principles align to matters of global responsibility. Open cultures that build and curate communities will set leaders apart as they grow their value-driven ecosystems. Consequently, open innovation and engagement via code, content, and knowledge will create communities driven by shared purpose, generating collective product developments to benefit all. In the era of open finance, no bank can do it alone. And because of this, we examine the future from three perspectives. That of the bank, that of the customer, and that of the collaborator. Each of these will play a central part in defining the next decade of banking. Some banks will pivot fully to become the platform and rails that other firms run upon. Other larger banks will contest the tech titles for customer primacy and engagement, and some will do both. Banks will have to selectively leverage and extend the trust they possess and to carefully choose their key battlegrounds. As established financial institutions increasingly need to move at digital speed to deliver startup-like innovation, and as fintech firms search the scale of business, there will increasingly be partnerships and collaborations between these types of providers, as well as the increasing use of third-party providers to deliver solution in weeks and months, as opposed to the usual annual innovation deployment. While there is a great deal of discussion in the industry around the commitment of the banking industry to environmental, social and governance or ESG issues, there is a lack of consensus as to whether consumers will select a banking partner based on these issues and because of the interesting split of opinion in this area, it will be interesting to watch whether consumers take action based on their stated belief around social and environmental issues. Like JP Morgan Chase's CEO Jamie Damon said in his annual shareholders letter that traditional banks are playing an increasingly smaller role in the financial system as big tech and fintech firms continue to grow. More than half of the institutions surveyed in JP Morgan Chase's survey expected more than half of the top 10 financial services firms to use open banking functionality to combine banking with non-banking services by 2030. Talk about AI. Reports are finding that AI is changing the physics of financial services, weakening the bonds that have held together with the parts of incumbent financial institutions and opening the doors to entirely new operating models. Some key factors would likely be from cost centers to profit centers. Like institutions will turn AI-enabled back office operations into external services, 
both accelerating the rate at which these capabilities improve and necessitating others to become consumers of those capabilities to avoid falling behind. A new battlefield for customer loyalty. As past methods of differentiation erode, AI represents an opportunity for institutions to escape a race to the bottom in price competition by introducing new ways to distinguish themselves to customers. Future customer experiences will be centered around AI, which automates much of the customer's financial lives and improves their financial outcomes. Collaborative solutions built on shared data sets will radically increase the accuracy, timeliness and performance of non-competitive functions, creating mutual efficiencies in operations and improving the safety of the financial system. And as AI reduces search and comparison costs for customers, firm structures will be pushed to the market extremes, amplifying the return for large-scale players and creating new opportunities for niche and agile innovators. In an ecosystem where every institution is vying for diversity of data, managing partnerships with competitors and potential competitors will be critical but fraught with strategy and operational risks. Regulations governing the privacy and portability of data will shape the relative ability of financial and non-financial institutions to deploy AI, thus becoming as important as traditional regulations to the competitive positioning of firms. AI will necessitate a collaborative re-examination of principles and supervisory techniques to address the ethical grey areas and regulatory uncertainties that reduce the institution's willingness to adopt more transformative AI capabilities. Not just AI, like even cloud-based banking is supposed to take a turn for the better. Over the years, cloud computing has transitioned into mainstream technology from bleeding edge. In 2017, 74% of financial services companies in the industry have already adopted some extent of hybrid or public cloud architecture. However, most financial institutions have typically taken a risk-based approach to adopt a cloud, beginning with proofs of concepts, software-as-a-service solutions, new native cloud application developments, and front-office functions but not necessarily core functionality. Hence, the next question is, has the time come to move code processing to the cloud? And if so, how fast should businesses adopt and transform to use the cloud? The immediate and long-term benefits of financial institutions when migrating their core banking infrastructure to the cloud could be huge, like infrastructural savings. You know, cloud computing can cut out the high cost of infrastructure for companies, eliminating the need to maintain their data centers. Cloud-based services are agile and easy to scale up or down depending on demand, adhering to organizational computing needs. And the public cloud excels in two critical security areas, information resiliency and privacy. So it is obviously a very good pertinent option. See, there needs to be an evolution in how consumers interact with their banks and customers are expecting the progression to begin now. Picture these scenarios. Consumers hanging out or working from cafes resembling bank branches, interacting with their bank's mobile apps as integrally and joyfully as they do with social media apps or reporting lost stolen cards using the bank's app instead of dialing the call center. These are not mere possibilities of the distant future. These are the kinds of experiences many customers already expect and have come to know from the brands they most trust. As the progression unfolds, human interactions will likely remain important, 
especially for milestone decisions in consumers' financial journeys. However, digital will be at the heart of personalizing consumers' day-to-day interactions and to enhance their emotional connection with the bank brands. And in many countries, mobile will likely become the epicenter of banks' digital transformations. Further, branches, ATMs, online banking portals and mobile apps will likely take different avatars in the coming years, infusing more real-life in digital and more digital in real life. And as that happens, perhaps some channels could become more prominent than others. For example, if mobile apps evolve as the go-to help for consumer, this could minimize the need for all call centers whatsoever. Perhaps the key takeaway we gleaned from the survey is that customer satisfaction is relative. In the end, to capture hearts, minds and wallets of consumers, banks will need to accelerate their digital transformation and reconfigure each channel to serve every need their customers have. Only this level of transformation is likely to strengthen their bank's emotional ties with consumers and earn them a top spot in the list of consumers' favorite brands. So on a concluding note, I would like to say that the digital transformation, like the very word that we keep plugging in into every traditional medium that has ever existed, might be just for the sake of it for today. But for most banks, it will be a critical imperative to succeed in the ever-changing business world. While many banks are right now experimenting with digital, most have yet to make consistent, sustained and, you know, bold moves towards proper technology back transformation. Technology as general, especially for the banking industry, will continue to be the driver of growth and central towards delivering a wide range of services through stronger, much stronger customer experience. Two imperatives which will mark the change into the fifth revolution we are about to watch unfold. So, that was about it for today. Thank you so much for listening till the end. And it has been a pretty hefty week, so I will leave you high and filled with new information, as I always do. Share this with your friends if you liked it. Review the podcast, save it, download it, and show some goddamn love. And I will see you exactly with a fresh new episode seven days from now. Keep cashing. Bye.